And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campion Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking, who writes, Well, writes Kyle, The Mandalorian trailer was released, and I was very disappointed. I'm all for not spoiling things, but this trailer, if you can even call it that, since it's more of a teaser, didn't show us really anything that we hadn't seen before. I hope others liked it, but this is by far, woo, the worst Star Wars trailer I have seen. What are your thoughts all right thanks a lot for sending in that uh that that question kyle well here's the thing of course yesterday we talked about on the show that a brand new mandalorian trailer was dropping with monday night football and as expected a lot of people were watching monday night football to watch this thing and it dropped everybody started talking about it as soon as it came out we talked about the strategy of dropping a trailer like this doing monday night football yesterday but now we've actually got the trailer itself in the teaser was it any good? I'm going to say, I got to disagree with you, Kyle. I thought it was a very good trailer. I thought it was a very good trailer. Now, understand what my kind of recipe is. What are my prerequisites for making a, a really good trailer? Show some, if it's an exciting property, show some exciting clips, give us a couple of good lines of dialogue, but most importantly, make sure you clearly lay out, this is what the story is. So here's what this is about. Obviously, that applies when we're talking about a movie, but I also believe it applies when we're talking about a season of television. Tell us what is this season's story going to be? They did it in the first trailer. They reemphasized it again in the second trailer, only they did it, they even went a little bit further that a part of this quest is also him seeking out other Mandalorians. I thought that was key. And then we saw a lot of footage that, yes, was in the previous trailer, but we also got a glimpse of a few new things. Overall, it was a very good trailer. It, it, it To me, in my opinion, and I can only speak for myself, obviously, I thought it was a very good trailer. What I suspect, Kyle, and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, okay? So please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But just based on what you were saying, and I, I've seen some other people online with this, it's not that they were looking for a good trailer. They were looking for some more candy. They were looking, I think some people approached this Mandalorian trailer, just looking for the candy. They weren't looking for a good solid trailer, which I contend this was granted. It was only one minute long. So I think Kyle is, is kind of right in saying it was really more of a teaser. I think he's, you're absolutely correct in that assessment actually, but let's for, for semantic sakes, we'll just call it a trailer. I thought structurally it was a very solid little trailer, but as we said on this show yesterday, I did not expect them to show us. Ahsoka, I, I, I got so many messages from people yesterday, Robs, insisting, John, you don't know anything. They're absolutely going to show, show Ahsoka Tano. They're absolutely going to. And I say, look, they might. I don't know that they're not. I'm just telling you, I'm going to be super surprised if they are because they're, they're going to want to keep that as a secret 
as far as like what she's going to look like and all that kind of stuff. They want to keep that under the, under their belt. And number two, they don't want to create a false sex sense of expectation that if you feature Ahsoka in the trailers, you might create this expectation that she's going to be in more of the season than she actually is because she's only going to be in one episode. But so I think people were looking for more eye candy when they didn't get the visual candy they were looking for. Whether it was a shot of Bo-Katan or whether it was a shot of Ahsoka Tano or whatever, when they didn't get that, they felt disappointed, which is natural. When we don't get what we were hoping to get, I, me included, we feel a sense of disappointment. But overall, Rob, I, listen, I, I don't know how you felt about it. You and I haven't discussed it yet. Mostly footage we've seen previously, yes. But I still thought it was a pretty solid trailer. It ramped me up. I got excited. I'm looking forward to seeing this. That's my take on this little spot at any rate. You had a chance to see this Mandalorian. We'll call it a teaser. What did you think about it? Well, one, I'd, I'd call it more of a TV spot being that it was 60 seconds. Eh, that's true. But, but dude, the show drops in 10 days. I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know. what. Even though we talked about it yesterday on the show, I thought, yeah, sure, they might show Ahsoka Tano. But I don't want to – these are all the reveals that I want to get when I actually watch the show. We've become so – I don't know. I think trailer entitled might be the word I – the, the, the phrase I want to use. It's like do we have to see everything? Isn't that what watching the show is all about? I know The Mandalorian's coming in 10 days. I don't need to know anything more than that. And I thought – you know, I thought it was cool seeing the Razor Crest crash on the ice and spin around backwards. That was cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, I liked seeing Cara Dune and 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 uh, Apollo Creed meeting the Mandalorian, you know, with Baby Yoda, which we'd kind of seen before. I liked seeing the Imperial troop transport being used to crush a biker scout. That was cool. Like, what, what, what more am I supposed to get? Like, show me the show, man. I don't want to see anything more. Yeah, and listen, I, I'm kind of of the the mentality of, like, tell. I, often, I will sometimes complain about trailers that don't give us anything about to let us know what is it we're even getting. You know what I mean? Like you'll hear me complain. Right. Like I talk a lot about like the Blade Runner 2049 trailer. You, you didn't tell us what the movie – like I'll complain about that sometimes. But this was a great example, Rob. I think of a middle ground between what you want and what I want. I felt like it held, holds a lot back while at the same time clearly laying out for the viewer – this is our story of this gunslinger in the wild, wild west of the outer reaches of the galaxy, The Mandalorian Season 2. This is his quest this season. So I thought it was a really nice balance myself personally. Question is, guys, how did you feel about this new Mandalorian spot? Maybe you were like me and you thought, oh, that was really refreshing. That was great. Got exactly what we wanted. We know what the story is. Now we're heading in to see it in 10 days. Or maybe you're like a lot of other fans where it's like, you know what? I I wanted to see something new. Show me that Bo-Katan. Show me that whatever. Show me somebody wielding the dark saber or whatever, right? And that's understandable too. Maybe you fall into that camp. Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Gary the Guy. And <laughs> Gary the Guy writes, Hello, John and Rob. One of the big topics that usually comes up when talking about the Batman is what is when does it happen? I believe you probably meant to write. When does it happen? Some people thought around the same time as the Joker movie. 
A new picture came out, though, that shows it happens in modern day. Does this surprise you? And do you think it's the right move to have it set today instead of in another decade? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, this has actually been one of those little areas, a little shadow in the corner of mystery surrounding the Batman movie, which has been, we've never really had a clear picture of when does this movie take place? What, what, in what time period does it happen? Is it an 80s set thing? Is it a 90s set thing? A lot of people speculating this is somehow going to be, or could it possibly be connected to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? Maybe this is set when that little Bruce Wayne we saw is now like 15 years older, 20 years older. This is set in the late 90s or something like that. Maybe the early 2000s, whatever, what have you. Maybe it'll be around there. That's always been kept a little bit you know, nebulous, if you will. They've kept that one a little bit under wraps. Well, apparently, it's not really under wraps anymore. Apparently, this thing happens in modern day. Now, this comes to us from an uh, online journalist, Brandon Davis, who works over with comicbook.com. And he claims he was on set of the Batman in Chicago and got a shot of this thing that's part of the taxi cab labels, licensed taxi cab. 2019. Now, it's important to note that Brandon Davis is not one of these Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart bloggers. He's actually like he does this. This is what he does. And if he's revealing this, I'll I'll take it. Uh, I'll, I'll give it its credit. I'll say, yeah, I, I believe this is absolutely real. So 2019, probably now stretched out in 2020. The Batman movie does indeed take place modern day. Interesting. Because, Rob, I think even though there hasn't been any definitive word that says this is going to take place in 1990 or 1995 or 2000 or whatever, I think a solid prevailing train of thought amongst a lot of people, and, and I'll say I'll include myself in this, kind of assumed that this would indeed be set in a different decade. And of course, for a lot of people, that meant if it was set in a different decade, that kept open the possibility that this is they're going to somehow say this is the younger version of the Ben Affleck Batman. This seems at least on the surface, Robin, and there could be holes to this that I'm missing out on. But to me, this sort of seems to put that absolutely to bed. This is not Ben Affleck's Batman. This is not a different age version of Ben's Batman. This is not in any way or shape or form connected to the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. This is, as they alluded to at DC Fandom, this is truly a standalone Batman within the multiverse that they have, but truly it's it's a standalone Batman. Rob, it does raise a lot of questions. Do you think moving and having this particular Batman story, Matt Reeves' Batman, being told in a modern context today 2019, 2020, 2022, by the time it comes out, whatever. But was this the right move? And what are some of the repercussions that you can think of, of it being in this particular time period, instead of saying being in another, how do you see it? Well, when you're talking about time periods in the Batman universe, I would say, I would ask you, when does uh, Tim Burton's ba Batman take place? Where is that Gotham city designed by Anton first, you know, with all that, crazy production design. Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, they don't really take place in Chicago. They take place in a fictional Gotham City. So any Batman movie takes place in some other time 
because it's not our world. It's 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 a it's a different world. So it's not like George Bush was president during the Nolan Batman movies. There was a different president. So I think that while the Batman film, it doesn't matter when it takes place, really, because if it's a standalone movie, as we've heard, and I suspect it is like the Christopher Nolan Batman films, at least it's a standalone movie until they decide to have the Flash cross over into that realm and meet Bat Batson. I, I think I think that these Batman movies can be any time. You know, I, I don't think our dates apply to their movies with one exception, and that would be the technology. Um, by setting something in 2019, I think they're saying that Internet technology, cell phone technology, all of that technology is contemporary with ours. So and even the super science that Batman might use is going to be similar to the present day. And I think that's a smart thing to do, because if it was set in, say, the 30s, you know, you couldn't have cell phones. That wouldn't I mean, I guess you could. You could make it more steampunk, but then it just distances it distances the the whole concept sort of from our reality. So I think this is kind of a compromise, maybe. Because if it was a standalone Batman movie, like, let's say it took place 20 years ago. Well, that's still the year 2000. You know, do they have to do they have to be worrying about Y2K and all the computers dying like we did 20 years ago? It's really not that much different in terms of technology and 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 what was going on. I mean, other than the fact we didn't have HD TVs back in 2000. Mm. Here's another thing that comes up. Because I, I saw this batted around a little bit online. The other kind of repercussion of this, if you think about it, this is Batman who's just what did what did uh, Matt Reeves say? He's just in in his second year, right? He's just in his yeah. second year of being Batman. So this is a younger-ish Batman set in modern times. One of the other things that I saw somebody online kind of point out was an interesting thought. Say, like, well, I guess this rules out Robin because again, uh, some people start speculating now with the new Batman. Now, with a brand new Batman, this opens the door for them to bring in a Robin. A lot of people have been wanting to see a Robin. I think bringing in a Robin is a dumb idea unless you heavily, heavily adapt it and kind of change the 11-year-old running around with a stick. If you want to adapt it and change that, age him up a bit, I'm good with it. But there were some people that thought this opens the door for a Robin. My assumption here, and I could be wrong, is that if this is indeed Batman in just his second year and he's Robert Pattinson's age and this happens today – that does kind of rule out that anytime soon we're going to get a Robin in this particular Batman iteration. Do you think that's still a door open or do you think this actually closes the door on that? What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think it probably does close the door on that. And, and to be honest, I think with these Batman movies, once you include Robin, like we've pointed out, you pointed out a lot on the show, there's, there's very problematic elements to the Batman mythos once Robin is brought in. I mean, it works better in comic book form. And of course, in the 66 Batman, it worked good because they were older. But if you have a Robin that's in his late, or Batman that's in his late 20s, and he's got some 13 or 12 or 11 or 10 year old kid coming in from the circus working with him, I think that's a little problematic in terms of what Batman's going to be doing on the streets of the mean streets of Gotham. Uh, I think it, it becomes a distraction. 
I mean, who's what what 29 year old guy? I'm just assuming he's 29. What 29 year old guy is going to want to have to worry about a 10 year old when he's fighting crime on the streets? I mean, yeah, that's that's rough. I agree. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Uh, maybe you were one of the people who've been assuming it was going to be a modern contacts one. Maybe you're one of those people who'd still been kind of wondering what period of time does this take place in? What do you see of the ramifications of this now that it seems to be put to rest? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Ed R. And Ed R. writes, Greetings and salutations. It's only one guy's opinion, but it gets me really excited for the new Borat movie to see Seth Rogen has already seen it six times and says it's one of the funniest movies he's ever seen. Does Rogen's reaction get you more excited for the movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, we were just talking a couple of days ago about the fact that the new Borat film that Sasha Barrett Cohen very secretly, how he was able to pull this off, I have no idea, but very secretly went about shooting a sequel to Borat and it was ready to go. I believe it was Amazon that acquired it. I think it's ready to go on Amazon coming like later this month. We're going to get it. It's coming really, really soon. Now, here's an interesting thing about it. One of the guys out there that seems to have a pretty good handle on what comedy is, is... Seth Rogen. He's got a good handle on comedy. I didn't like Sausage Party. Not funny. <laughs> Except for the last five minutes. Some of the freaking funniest stuff I've ever seen. But overall, I didn't like uh, I didn't like Sausage But other than that, Seth Rogen is hilarious. He's got a good handle on comedy. And he actually came out and kind of spontaneously wrote this. He said, uh, I've seen Borat 2 around six times over the last few months, and I cannot wait to watch it a seventh. It's crazy and wonderful and couldn't be any more timely. It, this is the key part, though. It also has a few of the funniest scenes I have ever seen in a movie. I'm excited for you to see it. And that, of course, comes to us from Seth Rogen. Now, I've said before that I am a big fan of the first Borat movie. I, I love it. It's actually one of the very few films. I think I've only done it for seven or eight times, Rob. Back when I used to give scores, it's one of the very few films, maybe only seven or eight, that I actually, as a reviewer giving scores, gave a 10 out of 10 to. I just That's how powerful my first viewing experience of it was. It doesn't, it doesn't replay well. Like Borat, I, the second and third and fourth time I watched it, it had less of an impact because that initial shock value is gone. But my first watching of the first Borat movie, I can't emphasize how much it really did have an impact on me. I thought it was brilliant. But when it comes to a Borat sequel, while I am excited to see it, sure, I've said this to you before, Rob, my, my excitement has been a little bit tempered because – is the shtick of Borat worn out at this point, right? Part of the brilliance, Rob, of that first one was that, you know, it was hitting us so unexpectedly. It was doing things and saying things and being things that caught us completely off guard. And I just wondered aloud on this show, and I said this to you, I, I, I just don't know if that shtick can play out over another movie, right? And then the trailer came. And while the trailer certainly has its moments, 
eh, I'm not excited about them, including the daughter. That seems to take it away from me a little bit. So I, I will admit my excitement level for this movie has been tempered a little bit. That said, I consider Seth Rogen to be a pretty funny guy. For him to come out and say, and it's not his movie, to come out and say, this is some of the funniest stuff you will ever see in a movie in it. I got to say, even though my expectations are tempered, that does put a smile on my face and makes me look forward a little bit more to seeing it. Rob, you heard these comments from Seth Rogen. How does it affect your expectations and what do you make of them? Well, look, I have to say, the more I see of this movie, like the more I, I think it's going to be way outrageous. And I'm I'm hoping I mean, if there's anything that we need to have our the one thing that Borat does is that he makes us really confront who we are as people, what we believe, because what he does is he goes in and exposes things that I think a lot of us would like to pretend aren't there, especially those things that are my, maybe are inside of us when it comes to certain prejudices we might have that we might think that we're really enlightened about, but really we're not as enlightened as we think we are. And I think that's what Borat is really good at doing, both the the, the concept, the whole idea, and what Sasha Baron does, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen does with the character. And I think now more than ever, when everybody's Everybody seems to get on their moral high horse about everything. I mean, everyone is so quick to be triggered and cancel culture and all that. And I think that when you see he comes through like a steamroller and there are no sacred cows when it comes to <laughs> Borat, he he just rolls right over it. And I think that we're going to get a, a huge dose of uh, a huge dollop of reality as served up the way only Borat can. But uh, like you I do wonder if the concept is played out because with Borat, you're already expecting to get that. Right. And, and it, it, it's like, is he, is he, how is he going to do it all? And I, I think they showed more of a clip on Jimmy Kimmel last night of the scene when they go to like the, the, the pregnancy clinic that doesn't advocate abortion. Right. They show that and they show a part of that in the, in the trailer, in the trailer, they go a little further. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, well, this is the, I mean, it's just when, when it, it goes more into the, well, I'm her father and it's my fault. I put the baby inside her. That goes a little further with the, and you're just like, whoa. It's, if we're going to get more of that, I think the movie is going to be, it's certainly going to be a fun watch. If uh, not a difficult one. I said, I, I didn't love the trailer, but the, one of the moments of the trailer that, that I would be lying if I didn't say I laughed a lot was when he then turns to the doctor. Have you put baby inside your daughter? And the doctor, no, <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> like I just thought, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to expect, so, but, but you, you touched on something there, Rob. That's key. When you know, when you're sitting there expecting something completely wacky about to be said, it, it kind of, diminishes or doesn't it to kind of diminish the impact of it when the wacky thing is said or done like isn't that true or or do you think think sasha barrett cohen can actually overcome this and hit us so hard that no matter how much we're expecting it it's still going to knock us off kilter i don't know what do you think i i think he's going to hit us hard you know because he want he, i saw him he was being interviewed and he's talking about how he uses the character to expose things like racism and hypocrisy that have been sort of touchstone issues for him throughout his whole career. And I, I think he's going to, I think it's going to be savage. 
I, I really <laughs> do. I, I think that there's going to be no holds barred. I mean, the only thing I worry about is like obviously that joke with the baby. We know she ate a little plastic baby off of a cupcake. How long can you sustain that that skit before it becomes overkill? And then you're like, it's not funny anymore. Um, and as what we've seen in the movie, it's going to skirt that <laughs> that fine line. Uh, is is the joke been played out too long? Well, we shall see soon enough. Uh, what three days? It drops on the twenty fourth, so the twenty third at midnight. Well, I uh, I got to admit, my hearing Seth Rogen say this has increased my thing. But by the way, how how good is it to be Sasha Barrett Cohen right now? Because he's got Borat two coming out in a few days, and they just dropped Trial of Chicago right. Seven, which is actually my number one film of the year right now. I think it's the best film of the year and he is fantastic in it. He's well, absolutely being, fantastic. Being married to that beautiful redhead Isla Fisher, it's probably pretty good being Sasha Baron Cohen every day. All the time. It's always going to be <laughs> All question, the time. Question An is Australian guys. Australian redhead? Oh my god. <laughs> what do you think about Seth Rogen's comments about Borat. Uh, do they surprise you? Do they change your expectation levels of this movie? Yeah, maybe your expectations levels were already sky high. Maybe your expectations levels have been like mine. Like, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm a little bit nervous about it. Regardless, what do Seth Rogen's words do to you as far as your expectations for this film? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions, shall we? And once again, if you want to get a live question on the show, if it's, you know, on topic and within reason, simply go on over to the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video, or simply use the tip link manually, streamlines.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it falls within those parameters. And of course, you're supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here, thank you guys very much for that. All right. With that said, let's get over to it, shall we? And we'll get things started off here with, as I adjust this a little bit, we got John uh, Klobuchar, who writes, oh no, we're going to start off with Willow. And Willow writes, I should say, uh, I really enjoyed the trial of Chicago 7, and uh, I lost it. There it goes. I really enjoyed the trial of Chicago 7, and I thought it was the most entertaining movie I've seen all year. I am a bit conflicted on the ending. On one hand, I did find it a bit cliched. On the other, it did still succeed emotionally moving me. Well, thanks a lot for writing that in, Willow. And I actually uh, – I put up a video last night. I actually did an editorial on why the ending of the Chicago 7 is awesome. Because there are there are people, there are, you're not alone, Willow. There are a lot of people out there who love the movie, like love the movie, but really didn't like the last scene, really didn't like the ending. To me, the ending was actually perfect. And instead of just regurgitating everything, it's taking five minutes to regurgitate everything I said before. If you have seen Trials Chicago 7, make sure you've seen it because it is a spoiler video. But uh, if you want to go on over and check that, look for the video I posted last night called uh, Why the Ending of the Tri Chicago 7 is Fantastic. Uh, go and find it there and check it out. But again, Willow, you're not alone. But I really thought it worked, and I explained fully in that video why I thought it worked. So go check that out. Let me know what you think about it once you uh, once you do that. All right, next up, John Klobuchar writes, and you wanted to be my latex salesman. That is Seinfeld. Vandalay Industries. That's what it was. Vandalay Industries. Vandalay Industries. I like a good I like a good Seinfeld quote every once in a while. That was a funny episode. 
That was a funny episode. I like that one. All right. Orange hand. Right. Thanks for that, John. Now I'm, now I'm just sitting here thinking about that episode. They seeing George running out of the bathroom with his pants still down around his thing, yelling Vandalay Industries. Anyway, thanks for putting that thought in my head today. All right. Orange hand writes. So you've said film slash shows are allowed to mention other copyrighted characters if they're still fictional characters within that world. But can a film revolve around the entire an entire story around a copyrighted character as long as they remain fictional or is that a no no? That's a good question, Rob. Because like if you're a, a show, right? Like, let's let's see your your normal television show. And you can have a scene where some guys are talking about something and somebody says, "Yeah, man, redheads are that guy's kryptonite." It's like, "Don't compare him to Superman." Whatever. And then they move on. You can make references like that cuz that's a cultural thing. Like you can drop a reference like that. But can you revolve your entire story around something? My first reaction is to say no, but there's a friend of ours, Kyle Newman, who directed the movie Fanboys. That is a movie that actually falls exactly into what Orange Hand's talking about, because that's a movie that entirely revolves around a diff- another IP, Star Wars. And he's able to he was able to base his whole movie on that. And I don't think he got like a, a release from Lucasfilm to do it. I think he was just able to do it. So I don't know. That's a really good question. Rob, how would you answer that question? Like what, what from your understanding, how do you think that works out? Well, <clears throat> when I was doing, you know, Free Enterprise and we talked about Star Trek all the time and we had obviously William Shatner, it was very interesting. We couldn't say he was Captain Kirk. In the movie, we had to say, and this is according to the lawyers, in your portrayal of the character of Captain Kirk, we could say that, you know, in our because that way it that is a reality in life. That is not that you're talking about something like you can say William Shatner portrayed the character of Captain Kirk in Star Trek, but if we were to call William Shatner Captain Kirk. Um, then you violate, then it becomes you're crossing over into IP land mm. and you can't do that. So it's a very, like we can show, I'll give you another example. When these kids went to see Star Trek, the motion picture, we could show the words Star Trek, the motion picture on a marquee, but we couldn't use the logo design of the film. Like we couldn't ah. show the, we couldn't show the movie poster. That's copywritten IP. We couldn't use the Star Trek, the motion picture font because that's a trademark or a copywritten uh, mark. But you can put Star Trek, the motion picture on a movie marquee that is just generic writing because that's what it is. I mean, it's not you're not violating because it really exists. So you can talk about it, but nobody is going to mistake a movie marquee with generic writing on it as anything other than a movie marquee with generic writing on it. So. If you're talking about like wanting to steal the Phantom Menace or going to going into you can say that, you know, we're going to go steal the movie, the Phantom Menace. But when you start talking about the Phantom Menace within sort of the the box of it being real, then it starts to become. And obviously, if you start showing iconography, then it becomes problematic. 
like if you're wearing a, a, a screen accurate Chewbacca costume, for instance, and if you know it's not a parody and fanboys is a parody, it's a comedy. So that's also an extra added layer of protection. You know, when you're doing a send up, that's how a movie like Spaceballs can get made because nobody's going to nobody's going to mistake Dark Helmet for Darth Vader. Right. So it's you know, you so fanboys had a lot of leeway because it was a comedy. And whenever when you're watching fanboys, you're never going to mistake it. Like, is that real Star Wars? That's when you'd get into trouble. Mm. So, so there's also a great a great example of that complication. There's a there's a great scene in Free Enterprise where Shatner is talking about walking by the house that's on fire. Right. And because then it becomes you got to be very careful how you do it because he's telling the story of some other guy saying to him, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk. But your main characters aren't referring to him as that. So the, it's like it gets really into this intricate web, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, it, and that was really difficult and and t- to deal with that because and then Shatner says in the same scene, I wasn't Captain Kirk. Mm. You know, I wasn't a hero. And and that's something that is, dude, we we went back and forth with lawyers. We had, as you know, you you've recently come across this in your own documentary. You know, you have yep. a lawyer when you're you've got to be very, very careful. Like in your documentary, can you show footage from movie trailers. Now you can like it's if you're using if a done trailer, a certain way. Yeah, if done yes, a certain if, way and you're right. Like the back and forth with the lawyers like I've been working with the lawyers uh, on this because we're using copywritten material and there are certain rules that if you follow them you can use copywritten material or or whatever but it's it's a very intricate set of rules that you got to be very very careful of. I mean, I thought it was interesting you told me the other day about how you, you, your lawyer said you might have had to adjust a few things based on what somebody has said contextually about yep. the footage you're showing. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's a very real thing. And when you're making a documentary, people need to know. And that's true of, of fiction as well. And, and also something else that people have to understand is let's say you're making a movie, whether it's a comedy or whether it's a, a serious movie. Let's say you want to show a product and you don't like the product needs to be shown in a light that's favorable to the company. Otherwise they can, they'll get upset. You know, they'll come after you and it's a very, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. This is a, this is a a great topic for a longer form. I would, you know what I, I would seriously love, I think it would be a really good like half hour video to sit, to get you, me and Kyle to sit down. Like, cause I just did a documentary that a lot of copyright, you obviously with free enterprise, Kyle with, with fanboys to sit down and really talk about our experiences with that from those three different points. I think that'd be a fascinating video, but for now we got to move on, but that's, that's a yeah. fascinating topic. It's a good idea though. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Mr. Hoover writes, Hey, John and crew do movie theaters pay to get movies to come to their theater, like 200 to 200 uh, to $2,000 or more. Uh, if so, given the circumstances, will this continue considering AMC might run out of cash? And at the end of the year, uh, do you review short films on YouTube? I do not. Uh, that's two separate questions. I don't review short films. No. Um, to the best of my knowledge, no. Movie theaters do not pay studios to get movies in. What it's all done, it's all part of a contractual agreement on that. Okay, we will put these things into our theaters. This is the financial arrangements, blah, blah, blah. 
And it costs them money just to open their doors and it costs them money to take up their screens and all that kind of stuff. But I don't believe uh, there may have been a period of time, Rob, unless I'm forgetting something. There may have been a period of time where movie theaters said, oh, you've got this movie studio. A we'll give you twenty thousand dollars so we can put a." But I don't think that's the case anymore. Now it's all wrapped up in their very symbiotic relationship of, of splitting revenue. Do you know it being anything different? No, I mean, I think what what happened, like in Washington State, in my home state, they used to have, like, movie theater chains would bid on movies, and without seeing them. So if the movie wasn't any good, the theater chains were kind of screwed, and the theater chains kind of got angry with that. So they started this blind bidding law, which meant that theater chains had to see a movie before they bid on it to play yes. in their theater chains, and that was a big deal. So then it became, I think, a little bit more more symbiotic because the the studios wanted, obviously, the theater chains to be excited about the movies that they were playing. And and they needed to have a symbiotic symbiotic relationship because everybody wants to get successful. The better a movie is, the more successful a movie is, the better movie theaters do and the theater chains do. So everybody's looking for the same thing. I mean, it, the, the days of movie theater or studios trying to slip out a turkey onto the theater owners. Those <laughs> days are over. All right. Uh, excellent answer. Now, move on now. Um, let's see. Patrick Conway writes over under 60%. Dr. Strange appears in WandaVision. I think there's a strong chance here, Piers. Like, can't wait for the team up between Dr. Strange and Scarlet Witch. Like, easily my most anticipated upcoming superhero team up. Well, Patrick, there could be a wrench in that. First of all, over under 60% that Doctor Strange shows up in WandaVision, under. There is a chance. Don't get me wrong. There is a chance. But 60% is obviously over 50. That means we'd be saying it is likely that he shows. I don't think it's likely that he shows up. There is a chance, but I take under 60%. Here's the wrench. There's a lot of speculation. And Rob, you and I have talked about this ourselves, amongst, amongst ourselves, is that this team-up movie you're looking forward to? It may not be a team-up movie. I, again, we don't know anything, but there is a lot of very well-grounded speculation that Wanda may very well could possibly, for the most part, almost be an antagonist in The Doctor. Depending on what goes on in WandaVision, it could lead into her being a problem that Doctor Strange needs to step in and deal with. Again, we have nothing as far as official word about what the actual thing is going to be about. And there have already been some speculation about other antagonists showing up as well. But, Rob, there's a, poss there's a possibility here, just a possibility that this – Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness with, you know, Scarlet Witch showing up in it is not necessarily going to be a superhero team-up movie. But, so Rob, let's ask you this. Over under 60% that Doctor Strange pops up in the WandaVision show, and then just quick thoughts on whether or not uh, that that's going to be a team-up movie once we get into Doctor Strange 2. Oh, I think Wanda Maximoff's going to be a problem. I, I think <laughs> there's going to be... I mean, if you go by the, the comic... Wanda Maximoff became a huge problem in the Marvel Universe. The whole House of M storyline was because she altered the fabric of reality to make mutants the dominant force on Earth. And I think probably the loss of vision in um, Infinity War and Endgame might have driven her over the brink. And I think the world that she's living in, the world that we're seeing, is her mind. 
you know, or, or something to do with her fractured reality, her damaged psyche, her she's lost her brother and now she's lost the man she loved or the android she loved. And I think that, um, you know, after defeating Thanos, maybe it was too much for her. And I, I, I love this idea. I mean, bring it on. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end maybe of the WandaVision show, Doctor Strange shows up and it kicks off whatever the multiverse of madness is about. Maybe that's what Wanda does at the end of WandaVision is she fractures the reality of the Marvel Cinematic Universe somehow. And could, she is the antagonist. Could be. Could be. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, By the next way, that would up, be rad. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. I also got to remember, too, we got Doc. There's Doctor Strange makes an appearance in Spider-Man 3, and that's going to be in between WandaVision and Doctor Strange 2. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays into it as well. All right. B. Wayne, New York writes. John, so I watched the West Wing reunion on HBO. I loved it. It was so good. Martin Sheen and all the actors were great. It felt like the series never ended. If the ratings were good, do you think uh, HBO Max might try and do another one or maybe even a series? Vote Bartlett in 2020. No, I don't, uh, unfortunately. I would love nothing more. See, when I first heard that they were going to do a, a HBO uh, reunion of them, I thought they were literally going to to write a new episode. That would be played out on stage and it would be about these characters now coming back together. You know, President Bartlett has has been retired for like what, 15 years at this point. President right. Bartlett had been re retired for 15 years or whatever. And maybe now Rob, uh, the Rob, um, what's Rob, Robert? He was in Parks Rob and Rec. Lowe? Why am I? Rob Lowe, maybe now the Rob Lowe character is now running for office and is, or maybe he is the sitting president now and they're all, I didn't know, but listen, there is nothing I would like more B Wayne for them to get them back together and do a new series. And like maybe Rob Lowe is now the president and he went out and got his old boss to come and be his chief of staff. I don't know. That seems ridiculous, but I, I would love nothing more. But no, honestly, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't I don't think they want to go back to that. And uh, but just seeing them back together again for that one thing was pretty awesome for me. Preston, the Kryptonian writes, hey, John. So I'm on season five of Lucifer. Awesome. Uh, and now I'm seeing that Warner Brothers is getting credit for this show when it is a Netflix original. Did Warner Brothers buy it or is it always in uh, Netflix studios? Just curious. Thanks. Well, this is an example, Rob. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, this seems to me to be an example of, like movies, there is a production company and there's a distributor. Every movie has a production company that makes the movie and a distributor that then takes that movie and decides what to do with it and ha handles it and manages it from there on. I think in television, we get much of the same thing. There are television shows that Sony Pictures Television makes and they're like on a WB network. Right. That, that that happens. It doesn't happen yes. in the movies. You don't get a Sony, you don't get a Sony produced film usually that then Warner Brothers distributes, although in a particular situation like Sony and Marvel, that happens with Spider-Man, but it's rare. Uh, I believe Warner Brothers Television is still like the production company of Lucifer. I think they still make the show. But yeah. Netflix or or but uh Fox, who was carrying it, decided not to carry it. They shopped it around. For whatever reason, it didn't go to uh, a Warner Brothers-owned entity for whatever reason, and Netflix picked it up. Just like Netflix didn't make 
What's a good example? Trial of the Chicago 7 we were just talking about. Netflix didn't make that movie, but it's a Netflix show because it's it's on the Netflix uh, network. They are the point one distributor of it. It's on their thing. So that's how I think that breaks down. Again, I'm not in, uh, in, in the production room of this, so I don't know this for a fact, but that seems to me what that would be in this situation. Rob, how would you address that? Well, I don't know. Netflix might have, <clears throat> you know, Netflix is financing. It's really, it comes down to who is, who is financing these movies. And a lot of the time a production company will, will be formed by, I don't know, three or four or five. A, a production company might just be an LLC that has been started to produce that film. And then what happens is that finished film is then sold to a distributor, like sold to a Netflix, and Netflix will buy it outright. They will own it lock, stock, and barrel and pay the production company however much they're going to pay for it. Um, or Netflix will finance the film entirely by itself, and then it's a Netflix movie. But like Netflix is acquiring – like Lucifer was a show that was being made by another production company that then they have acquired – onto their platform. Now, what's really interesting is shows that have ended like Designated Survivor, Netflix will come in and pay for like the third season of that show. Now, it still has to be produced by the original entity because those things have, I guess, they're already set up and, and, and put in place. But it's it's unclear to me whether like, did Netflix buy Lucifer outright or did they only buy the show and then make the last season. I mean, these are these are questions that are sort of strange. Like Netflix didn't own Friends; they just bought the rights to show it. Like in 2019, they paid a hundred million dollars to show Friends for the year. But then at the end of that year, it gets pulled off their platform and put onto HBO Max. You know, so it's it it really depends. I mean, there's a number of different ways to do things. I am curious though, when a show like Lucifer comes over to Netflix, if they're buying it outright, which seems strange to me, but maybe not because I would think they would have many distribution deals internationally. And yeah, I don't think they complex. buy it. I didn't think they bought it outright. I still think yeah, it's I a think, property I of think, Warner Brothers. Yeah. I mean, they might pay for it to have it on. Like, it's like friends. They paid a hundred million dollars to run friends for a year and that's it. So maybe they, they they pay to produce a third season of a show, but then the ownership of the show is retained by the original production company like Warner Brothers or the, the companies that are making it, the, the various production companies and Warner Brothers. It's a who knows? It's all, all right. different spending. Yeah, you're right. That's the thing. It is very from from uh, situation to situation. All right. Certified lover boy writes the Mandalorian trailer was cool and all. But how about them Cowboys? America's team, right? Pathetic. And what's even more pathetic is that they're probably win the division with a two and four record. It's always a good day for me when the Cowboys lose. Listen, I'll tell you what. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. And I am like you. I always celebrate when they lose. However, got to say this, though. I, I mean, nobody wanted to see. I don't know if you guys saw it, but what happened to their quarterback, Dak Prescott? Terrible thing. I, it, it, nobody likes to see that. It's like he got, he ran, he got hit, and then he, you see him sitting on the field. And he's like turning to the sideline and doing the wave thing, like telling a trainer to come out. I'm like, oh, I wonder if he got banged up, whatever. And then you saw his foot. And I'm not going to bring up any images of it. If you want to see it, you go look it up. Ugh. 
Dude. And we thought at first his shoe had half come off because his foot was bending. You know, your foot's supposed to go like this. It was bent like this, <laughs> like his foot was sticking the wrong way. And at first I'm looking at, oh, he's taking his shoe off. And then I'm like, his shoe's not off. His foot is pointing the wrong way. And Yeesh, that was, I can't even oh, dude. And then, you know, we forget sometimes that these athletes are also people and they put it like, so an injury like that, you don't have to wait to the doctor. He's done. Like he's it definitely his year is done. His whole season is gone. A year of his career and careers are finite. And a year of his career is now gone. And I remember they put him on this cart and they were driving him off and you could just see he was in pain. Yes. But he was weeping because Dude. he had worked so hard hours and hours and hours every single day pushing his body to the limits that it can go at studying and studying and studying and working and working and working and training and training and training and like that his year is done and he's over and you could see that sadness and in, in his face and i was just like he's obviously in a lot of physical pain too but it was like oh man you just hate seeing that and it gave it, it damn it! It made me sympathetic towards the Dallas Cowboys, and so I there's I hate the Dallas Cowboys, but now there's a small part of me, damn you, Dak Prescott. There's a small part of me now that's kind of rooting for the Cowboys, which I never, never want to have as a part of my DNA. But there's actually now this little tiny part of me that's kind of rooting for the Cowboys. I want to see good things happen <laughs> for them. Ah, but anyway, it was. Did you see the footage, Rob? Of dude. Oh, uh, man. Uh, I, I, oh. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. We might have our rivalries and we might say that we hate certain teams and we mean it. But we don't mean that the individual players, we don't bear anybody any ill will. No. You know, it's still it's I like to see great games played by great players. And when someone someone is the, the leader of a team, he's a valuable or, or she someday, I suppose that person is a very valuable person part of the whole ecosystem and to have somebody hurt in this way uh the, the 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 time i mean you're talking about a lifetime curtailed a lifetime of work probably somebody who began playing football as a a little kid you know and getting to be a quarterback of an nfl team like america's team or it's not really america's team but you know america's team uh it's dude it's heartbreaking it's just yeah heartbreaking it was hard to see it was hard to see all right we gotta move on here uh guillermo labelle writes hey geo i just finished watching your documentary movie trailers a love story on at uh, portland film festival and i loved it very entertaining and insightful really hope you get all the success you deserve from it keep up the good work and good luck with the festivals thank you so much i really appreciate that and yeah listen we are still on course um to have the movie out by the end of the year, which is really not far away now, we're already in the middle of October. Uh, we are we are still on course to have this thing out and available by the end of the year. Keep your eyes open for it. And thanks so much for, for checking out the movie. I really appreciate it, man, very much. All right, next up, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, 
Last night, I stumbled on a Texas Chainsaw Massacre post stating coming in 2021, uh, they are taking the classic, ignoring all the sequels, and this will serve as a direct sequel to the original approach like Halloween did. Is there any interest for this? I did not see that. Rob, did did you see that piece of news? I I didn't come across my radar. Yeah, and they released released artwork for it that's really cool. But And famously, when the movie was being made, the the directors – (laughs) <laughs> they they left or they were fired two weeks into production and they had to bring in another director to finish it. You know, I think having worked on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, it was the first movie I ever worked on as an art department assistant. I think the idea of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise as being a franchise is a really hard thing to do because after all, it's not like Leatherface is Freddy Krueger. I mean, this is a this is a family that kills and eats people and it's based on the, wor- the the horrible life of Ed Gein, and it's it's got a reality to it that isn't so much fun. So I don't know. I'll be curious to see how they pull it off. I mean, they keep trying to turn Texas Chainsaw Massacre into a franchise, and I don't think they understand that it doesn't have the same appeal as Jason or Nightmare on Elm Street or you know any of. Well, pick your favorite serial killer. Uh, Leatherface isn't like that. By the way, the um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre maze at Universal's annual – there's not going to be a Halloween Horror Nights this year, obviously, because of the pandemic. But their annual Halloween Horror Nights, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre maze is always one of the more fun ones that they do. They always do a really good – and it's really gross. It's really, really gross. All right, next up. <laughs> uh, let's see. That was Russell Amador. Next up, we've got Adam UK Tipper writes, Hey, John, without tr- trying to guess your age – uh, can you remember Batmania 1989? The anticipation for Burton's Batman was just insane. The trailer created so much excitement. Surely a top 20 most anticipated film in history. What do you think? I don't, I don't, actually, I don't think so. Like, listen, that movie obviously has a very special place in my heart. Um, it was uh, the movie, me and my buddy, uh, Brendan, my best friend growing up who, who died just a couple of years ago. And we, as kids, we like, we took the bus downtown. We were just, we just started, we were in high school. We took the bus downtown, went to Jackson square. It's the first time I'd seen a big lineup for a movie, but I don't remember like being, it being culture sweeping, like the way a star Wars movie is or the way an Avengers movie is or, or some, or a Harry Potter movie is. So certainly in its era, it was something new and different. I don't know that I would call it a top 20 uh, because, you, you know, today we have a lot of tools, Rob, that that just weren't around at that time that really propels the hype as well. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. Yeah. There, there weren't all these things that really fanned the flames of excitement. Um, so I, I would have a hard time saying it's a top 20 most anticipated. Rob, you remember this film coming out. Like, would you put it up there? What do you think? I, I have to say that, like, Look, like you just pointed out astutely, the world is a different place. But at the time, Batmania was when those posters started going up and those logos, you know, that Bat logo that was on the poster and those trailers came out. Man, no one. I have to say I I was here uh, in L.A. The hype was real and people were were especially fans were fanatical about it because it really was – I mean we'd had Superman the movie, but there had been no comic book movies like this. It looked cool. It was Tim Burton. It was – you know, from the time Michael Keaton was cast, it was always in the news. Jack Nicholson as the Joker. It was pretty 
it was pretty hype, man. I mean, it was it was pretty. I would say it was, but but like you said, of the time. There was no social media, but it was in every magazine. People talked about it on the news. It was just a different time. So the kind of hype that we have now was not the kind of hype that was going on then. So it was it was different. But I think for the time, you know, 31 years ago, it was about as big as it got. Right. It just, you know, it just we didn't have the fan. We didn't have the fan base that we have now. We didn't right. live in what I like to call the post geek singularity. So good point. All right. Next up, uh, misleading marketing rights. I can understand you liking Last of Us 2 since you watched it and didn't play it. Uh, it can be enjoyable to watch an unlikable character, but not to play as one. Plus, many story points have no impact after killing hundreds of people with no remorse in the gameplay. I, I think that's a gross mischaracterization of what goes on there. First of all, you're making the assumption somebody is an unlikable character. I, I, this is the brilliance of Last of Us 2 to me was that we often watch movies or play games where you are the centric hero, right? And the hero, whatever the hero does, is instantly acknowledged as being justified or forgivable, right? There are many video games, most video games, where you as the hero are running around maybe killing hundreds of people, but they're the bad guys. What I love, because, you know, we always say this, everybody is the hero of their own story, but the mirror of that is all of us are the villain in somebody else's story. We don't like to think about that part, but that part is every bit as true. Everybody is the central hero in their own narrative, but every one of us, you are the villain in somebody else's story. And we forget that. And one of the, the brilliant things narratively about Last of Us 2 was that it took that the standard trope, we've got a hero in a tough environment and a situation doing what needs to be done. But then they very unexpectedly flip the script and say, okay, now let's look at it from that other person's point of view. The person who did something that our hero considers unforgivable. Now let's look at the story from their set of eyes. And suddenly we're the ones that did things that were unforgivable. And it forces that very, it steps outside that very nice, neat, tidy approach that a lot of fantastic movies and games take, take, and it flipped it around. And to me, Rob, it's what made it the last of us Two a very, very special story, a very special story. And, um, and I think some people were not prepared for that. And I think some people were very uncomfortable with that. And it makes you look now at other narratives and it's like, you're playing this game. It's like, okay, I'm going after that bad guy, but am I the bad guy? Like it just, it just kind of changes it a bit. So I, I, I don't know. I, I still don't know if, if, if you've ever played any of the last of us two or watched any of its narrative or anything like that, but <laughs> No, I love the first game. I just haven't had time to sit down and because, you know, it's to me, it's the kind of thing where I get obsessed about video games. And if I started playing that game, I would want to play it all the way through. I just haven't I haven't had time to do it, but I can't wait. I mean, you told me to watch the cinematic. You said it's like 12 hours long. Yeah, yeah, it was about uh, like a good full 12 hours long <laughs> to watch. Anyway, I, I just thought it was absolutely gut-punchingly brilliant. I, 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 I have never been impressed. Like, I've, I've really enjoyed 
some narratives in some video games. Uh, the most recent God of War, I thought was a really good narrative, but I've never been like flat out impressed and blown away by the narrative in a game like I was with Last of Us 2. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible what they did. It's absolutely incredible. Um, all right, next up. Let's see. Edward O'Neill writes, want to hear some good box office news? Demon Slayer, the movie. This is the Japanese story. Demon Slayer, the movie, just broke the opening weekend record in Japan. The anime is amazing, and the movie was praised by the creator of your name. Would this be enough for maybe you to give it a shot? I mean, if it became available here, I mean, I'm always looking for new content to, to watch. But yeah, that is something that came across my thing that in Japan, it really blew the doors off in Japan. Um there's a lot of things very popular in Japan that aren't necessarily my cup of tea. Hell, there's a lot of things really popular in Italy. As an Italian, <laughs> that is really not my cup of tea either. So, I mean, there's that, right? But mm, um, it, it is interesting that so many people flocked out to see that given. Now, Japan is not exactly the biggest box office market in the world. But still, that is a really interesting piece of news and something I'll keep my eye on. All right, Dave XP writes... Uh, let's see. Um, let's see here. Okay. Next up, Dave XP writes Marvel movies, pet peeve, nanotech suits, just randomly revealing the character's face. I miss those days when suits were mechanic or just physically taking their masks off XD. Well, listen, you know, I have an issue with nanotech to me, <laughs> the way they use nanotech which isn't real nanotech. The way they use nanotech, Rob, you know, to me is just another word for for sorcery, right? It's magic now. Like what what see one of the things that was really cool to me and don't get me wrong, I love the Iron Man character even in the last number of movies. I even though he's went with the nanotech stuff, I still love the character. Still got excited, but one of the great things about that first Iron Man and maybe even the second Iron Man was that, you know, you see Tony either in the cave or in the lab when he gets back home, soldering wires and building the things. And they made it feel as if you could actually do that. If you were as smart as Tony, you, you, they made it feel as fantastical as it was. They somehow found a way to make it feel kind of grounded and like maybe that could be reality and there's there was something really cool about that by the time you get to infinity war and endgame it's it's not that now it's magic it's just simply it's they just forget anything that has any sort of grounding in reality when it comes to iron man granted this is the same universe that has the god of thunder in it but we're talking about the iron man character specifically they they have so massively departed from that that now it's just it's just sorcery and witchcraft it's just it's now it's magic he is every bit of magical character as doctor strange is i mean really because the the absurdity of what his suit now does is just completely ludicrous again it makes for some great scenes in movies and i still love it and i still eat it up and all that kind of stuff but they really did replace any sense of Rob to borrow from you, verisimilitude. They just wiped all that away. The, the earlier film had it, not so much later. So that does drive me crazy too. I can't remember. I know you and I have talked about this before. Does the nanotech stuff bother you at all or is it just kind of sweep under the bridge? <clears throat> I Look, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, that – look, as much as I love Infinity War and I love Endgame, Tony Stark's suit, the fact that it can go on at will – 
sort of takes away. I like the fact that it's a suit. Like you said, him pounding away and, and, and playing with the electronics, the idea of nanotech, it, it basically there's it takes away any limitations that the suit has. I mean, sure, there's strength limitations, like when he's fighting Ebony Ma and things like that. But the way it can come and go at will so quickly, I mean, it is it is magic, and I I do. It skirts the it skirts my suspension of disbelief. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give it up to a point. Because now that you know, maybe there's the influence of alien technology, and I don't know. But the nanotech suit in Infinity War kind of bothered me. The fact that he could just touch his hand and it would flow around him—I don't believe that. Um, you know, and I I don't like it as much as if it's a real suit that he steps in and out of. Like like I love the suit that he stepped in and out of in Spider-Man: Far From Home, not Far From Home, Spider-Man: uh, Homecoming. Right. You know, that suit where he would step out of the whole suit and and like it would part open up for him. That that was as close to nanotech as I really like. But when it can just flow over him, I mean, it still has mass. Where does all that nanotech mass come from? Where does the, uh, it, you it have to be somewhere? You're telling me the entire suit. I know it's nanotechnology, but it flows around him. He gets an entire Iron Man suit from like particles that are in his hands or what? Where, where is it? You know what part really got, got me? What part really bothered me? And that should, but it's the end of Infinity War. He's just had he just had his ass handed to him by Thanos, like everybody just did, and he got run through with his giant blade. This nanotech suit that fits in his watch. He sprayed this magic healing foam. Remember that he's in there going, oh. Well, I better use this nanotech suit that I ju- that just happens to somehow be able to carry around this magic healing foam that he just yeah. sprays into this massive hole in his gut, and he's fine. And he's fine. And I'm like, come on. It's just again, it was to me. I know I'm nitpicking a bit here, uh, granted, but it's just man, they had something so cool with Iron Man that they kind of just again, it's just it's just magic now. Now it's just magic, but whatever. Okay, uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, let's see here. James LH writes, Hey John, my take on Chicago seven. Great movie. This is the sort of cast and ensemble award is good for. Yeah, that is for all good. I just want to add Frank Langella was great as the villainous judge, his scenes with Mark Rylance as the lawyer and with Yaya, uh, Abdul Mateen, the second, especially were captivating dude. Skeletor rules. Frank Langella as the judge. And by the way, I did some reading because like I, I was I found myself watching Trial of the Chicago 7 going. The one thing that bothers me is like this judge is so incompetent that it couldn't be real. And I started reading some stuff. It's like, no, a lot of people in the legal community thought he was an absolute imbecile and like just really nasty. And and so that made me appreciate even more. But you're right. Mark Rylance is fantastic in this movie. He might actually be the best. He might actually give the best performance in the film. And yeah, uh, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen was so good. Every time he would stand up, I want to object to the court. My not my I'm, my legal representation is not pre-. It's just on and on. That scene with oh. My God, it's just such a well-performed film. And yes, Frank Langella as the judge is going to be overlooked a little bit, but he was fantastic in it. All right, Yusuf writes, one of two. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. I think the uh, the Khabib versus Gaethje fight is going to go the same way as usual. Uh, Smash. People talk about Justin's takedown defense, but really, uh, when was the last time anyone shot one at him or he faced a high level grappler? All of his fights have been with people who stood up with him, never wrestled. So I don't think Habib will have much trouble getting the, the takedown. And I don't think he has the cardio or Brazilian jiu-jitsu to stop submissions or sweeps, etc. I've been wrong b- before, but I say Khabib wins. Listen, so this weekend is a fight that I I. Man, it's been a while. I'm not saying it's the fight, my most anticipated fight of all time. It's not. But it's been a while since I've been this excited about a fight. To me, the greatest hand-to-hand combat artist on the planet is uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. He, they also call him the Eagle. He is the baddest man alive. He is simply pound for pound. I might even be willing to take pound for pound out. I think you could throw him in with a light heavyweight. And he may have them crying for mama. He is the baddest man on the planet, bar none. I'm a big GSP fan, but I think he is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. Uh, Yeah, that includes Fedor. That includes anybody else you want to put out there. I think Khabib Nurmagomedov, because here's the thing about Khabib. You got to understand this if you don't know MMA. This this little guy, because he's in one of the lighterweight class, who comes in with a big, massive Russian, like, blonde kind of hat that the poofy hat that comes out he not only is completely undefeated he's never lost a minute of a fight like you go to some like with a really impressive fighter like a john bones jones who lost his last fight by the way even though the judges gave him the decision dominic re has re has beat him but there have been a lot of fights where he has lost several rounds he's lost a lot of rounds right he's great but he's lost a lot of rounds Khabib has never lost a minute of a fight. He mauls you. And it is scary. He is the baddest man on the planet. And I absolutely pick Khabib to win this fight. But I will tell you right now, Khabib has never been in as much trouble as he is this weekend. He is Mm. fighting a maestro of violence. Justin (laughs) Gaethje. I am telling you, Rob, Justin Gaethje is a scary, scary, Scary man. And he loves to fight. And he, I saw him fight Tony Ferguson, a guy who had gone years without losing a fight and just pardon the language, but beat the living shit out of him. I saw him go into a ring with one of the, one of the most beautiful strikers to watch in MMA and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. It's just, he's just a beautiful striker. I saw him go in there and knock him out in the first round. Justin Gaethje goes in to take people's heads off. And if there is anybody who legitimately, like I told everybody, uh, Conor McGregor had no chance against Khabib Nurmagomedov. No chance. And he didn't. Nobody has ever had a chance. But I'm telling you, Justin Gaethje, as much as I will still pick Khabib to win this fight, Justin Gaethje has a shot. You best believe Justin Gaethje has a shot at this. He is a bad, bad man. And like I said, he is he is a symphony orchestra of violence. He is he is a he is a maestro of violence. And his violence is beautiful. But I, I'll still take a B, but I'm telling you, Rob, I am so excited for this fight. I am so excited for this fight. If 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 somehow Gaethje can keep it on the feet, he's definitely got a chance. But mm. Everybody who's ever fought the undefeated champion 
has always said, every every fight of his, the, the commentators always say, if he can keep it on the feet, if they can keep it on the feet, if they can keep it on the feet, guess what? They can never keep it on the feet. Because Khabib Nurmagomedov, his dad made him wrestle bears when he was a child. There's video of this. His, his dad would make him wrestle bears. Nobody can keep it on the feet. It's going to be fun to see. And I cannot wait for that fight. Uh, thanks. Sorry sorry for the sidetrack there, guys. When you get me talking about MMA... And I'll get uh, I'll get a little bit uh, I'll get a little bit excited and worked up. Okay, next up, uh, the Nova Scotia won't hold you. I was born in Nova Scotia, as a matter of fact. Uh, has there been another actor who's had the type of run Yaya Abdul Mateen is currently having? Yes, many, many, many times. Uh, but he's definitely having a super hot run right now. Uh, it's having. It's wild to think that he made such an impression with mostly supporting roles. Uh, really excited to see what he does in Candyman and Matrix Four. Yeah, that's Candyman is the one where he's really going to have the spotlight on him. Right, he's really going to have the spotlight on him in Candyman. And so that's going to be exciting to see. But, you know, you're right. Before Aquaman, he had been in some things, but he was not like you say, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Now people are like, oh, yeah, I, I know that name. Before Aquaman, I don't know if that was the case. Suddenly you're Black Manta. That, but he has impressed a lot of people. Trial of Chicago 7 is no different. And he's absolutely on a great streak. All right. Uh, Seth Tipton writes, by a multi- by a mutation in the X gene, after contracting COVID-19, Hugh Jackman is permaclaw Wolverine. Uh, life's not so easy writing a blog about learning Spanish while also taking a pottery class with permanently protracted claws. Coming soon, 20th Century Fox Plus. Listen, all joking aside, Seth, there are still people out there, Rob who are absolutely convinced that Hugh Jackman is coming back as Wolverine. I was just reading through a thread a couple of days ago about all the evidence that Hugh Jackman is coming back as Wolverine. Hugh Jackman is never coming back as Wolverine. All right. He may pop his face on screen as a fun cameo or something here or there. Hugh Jackman is never coming back as Wolverine. He is already about 40 pounds lighter than he used to be. Um, I believe he's in his 50s. At this point, how old is Hugh Jackman? Hold on a second. Uh, Hugh Jackman age. I believe he's 52. Hold on a second. 52 years old. He, he He's not interested. And one of the things he said that he's looking forward to retiring from Wolverine was that he was done with his workouts. He did not want to do that anymore. So, but honestly, Rob, I still see there's a lot of people out there who believe that. Do you think there's any chance that we legitimately see Hugh Jackman even just for one more go? Do you think there's any chance we get uh, Hugh Jackman back again? You know, maybe as an appearance, but he's certainly not going to be playing Wolverine the way he played Wolverine before. I mean, the the whole thing is that they've got to they have to establish a whole new identity for the X-Men and Wolverine in the MCU to to if you have Wolverine, then you're kind of locked into the rest of the X-Men and they don't want to do that. They're going to recast the whole thing. They're going to build it from the ground up. We're going to get somebody else playing Wolverine. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, R. Lee writes, John, sites are reporting that rights to Luke Cage and Iron Fist are to revert back to Marvel this month. If true, I would love to see Heroes for Hire on Disney+. Plus. Given their power sets, the show could be made cost-effective, or did Netflix ruin that possibility? Um, I don't know. Look, at, at some point, all those rights are going back to the right. The, the question becomes, though, when people hear those rights are reverting, they start thinking, Oh, we're going to get that Luke Cage. 
we're not getting that Luke Cage. Apparently that, you know, if I understand it properly, the, it, those iterations of those characters will can't be done by Marvel. And as we've already talked about before, Kevin Feige doesn't like t- picking up other people's sloppy seconds. Just Kevin Feige is not into that. I believe we can see Luke Cage. It'll just be a different Luke Cage than what Netflix did. It's totally separate from what was done on Netflix and all that kind of stuff. I believe we're going to get Daredevil, but totally separate from the – it's not going to be Charlie Cox and it's going to be a completely different Daredevil than we got now. And we live in a world where Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman. In that world, absolutely anything can happen. But again, Kevin Feige has shown that he has no desire for other people's sloppy seconds. He wants his characters that he introduced telling his stories that come with no background baggage. Plus, I think there is still a rights issue to certain iterations of the character. Rob, to me, it's kind of like, uh, um, let's say, let's say Wizard of Oz, right? Technically speaking, Wizard of Oz is in the public domain. So anybody can make a Wizard of Oz movie. Yeah. Or Thor. Let's go to the Thor example. Thor is a public domain thing. Anybody can make a Thor movie. You can pick up a camera today and go make a Thor movie if you want. Here's the catch, though. You can only use things in your Thor movie that are actually a part of the original mythology or things that you create and come up with yourself. Mm -hmm. You cannot have anything in your Thor movie that was made up by other people's Thor movies. So like Wizard of Oz. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the Wizard of Oz book had the ruby slippers. There was something key like that, that the movie made up. Okay, so if you want to make another Wizard of Oz movie, which James Franco did, James Franco made another Wizard of Oz with Sam Raimi. They could make a Wizard of Oz movie. They just couldn't use any element that was introduced in that original Wizard of Oz movie. So I think the same thing kind of is at play here. I think there are things and elements that are introduced in Luke Cage or whatever, those things cannot be a part of anything Marvel now does with that. So it just kind of buzz, buzzes that. But I'd still say there's a 5% chance we get those characters as they were in Netflix back. Rob, number one, do you think we'll see Kevin Feige at some point utilize those Netflix characters? Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, uh, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Punisher, and then... Beyond that question, if he does use those characters, what do you think the chances are that he uses the actual iterations of the characters that we saw in the Netflix series? Well, John, as of 11 o'clock today, 20 minutes ago, (laughs) Disney Plus has announced the Willow TV series is officially a go at Disney Plus. All right. They've been talking about that for like six months haven't they but now it's officially a go it's officially dropped ron howard the director of willow is an executive producer and warwick davis is coming back to play willow never in my wildest dreams john <laughs> never would i have thought that there would be a willow series same way i didn't think there'd ever be a dark crystal series either so i i think never say never but that said uh, I I think we are going to see Daredevil in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I just don't think we're going to see the iteration of Daredevil that we got on the Netflix show. Right. I think Kevin Feige, like you pointed out, he wants to be able to create these characters in his own image or in the image of the way they fit into the MCU. I mean, I loved the iteration of Daredevil that we got for Netflix. I think the iteration of Daredevil that we're going to get will be different. 
Um, and I think that, look, I'd love to see Luke Cage. I'd love to see Iron Fist. I love Jessica Jones, too. I could see these characters being utilized, but we're going to see them built from the ground up in a different way inside the MCU. And I think of those four characters, Daredevil's the one we're probably going to see first. Right. Apparently, John M. Chu is going to be. That's interesting. John M. Chu is going to direct that. Uh, or he, yeah, he is going to direct the Willow series for Disney Plus. Of course, he was supposed to be doing the Masters of the Universe years ago. Remember that when John yeah. was going to be directing a He Man movie? That was a long time ago. I okay. mean, how, dude, how crazy is it? There's going to be a Willow show with Warwick Davis playing Willow, what, after 32 years or something? I know. I, by the way, I just love Warwick Davis. I just think that, that is hilarious. All well, right. He was but, in that show. Was it extras or with a Richie, Ricky Gervais? Yes. Yep. His, ah, his scenes so that he would do. I remember this one scene he did with Liam Neeson. It was him, Richie uh, 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 Gervais and, uh, and Liam Neeson. You go look it up and it's just absolutely hilarious or it would not, it, not actually, maybe it was, what was, is it, was it called small world or I, I can't remember what it was. It's something to do with him. All right. Nexus writes, uh, according to Daniel Richmond's Patreon, there have been recent talks between Jared Leto and DC about him coming back as the Joker and possibly co-starring in the Harley and Joker project we all thought was scrapped. What do you make of these rumors? I don't believe the rumors. I've heard whispers about that too, but I don't, I don't believe it personally. Um, but, but, I'm all for it. Listen, I, I've said before, I liked the Suicide Squad movie. Like I, up until Birds of Prey, I've liked every DC movie. Shoot me, but I've liked them all, including including Suicide Squad, which is a hot mess of a film. But there was enough in there that had me smiling and having a good time that I walked out enjoying it. But to me, and this is an unpopular opinion, my favorite part was Joker and Harley. Every every second, every preciously rare second that Joker and Harley were on the screen together. I was riveted. I love that toxic, destructive, codependent relationship between them. I ate it up. As a matter of fact, Rob, I think my favorite scene in that movie was the scene with common at the, at the club. I mean, just, Oh, that just, that just said so much about the relationship between them. Right. And, and I've always said, I am totally down for a Joker and Harley movie. I'm absolutely down for it. I don't believe it's going to happen. I would love it to happen. And again, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro, that Ben Affleck's coming back to be Batman, and Warwick Davis is going to be Willow again. We live in that world. <laughs> Dude, it's so, so hope, crazy. <laughs> hope springs eternal. So I don't buy it. I don't think they're going to do that. But if they do, I will be personally, I know this is unpopular, but I don't give a shit. I would be very, very happy. Rob, what do you, do you buy this rumor and what do you think of it? I, I, you know, like you said, it's hard to say no to these things, but I, I, I honestly just don't think that he made enough of an impression as the character. It's not like he was a character that was so embraced and beloved by the fan base or everybody. I mean, people like him as an actor. Obviously, he's a good actor, but I I don't see that happening. I just don't see it happening. All right, let's move on. We only got a couple left here, guys. Uh, MD writes, I mentioned the other day how I avoid first seasons because I hate when they get canceled. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. And, and I still do, but I feel it. I feel it. Uh, I just two days ago started away on Netflix. Oh, yes. I heard about this. 
Away just got canceled. Uh, just two days ago, I started Away on Netflix, but I've just seen today it's been canceled despite being in Netflix's top three new shows, Nelson Ratings, Fuming. Yeah, so that new uh, show Away that everybody was all excited. I, I never did get around to watching it yet, but uh, they pulled the plug on it just like that. And just like that, it's gone. Now, listen, with the show, Rob, you and I know this. With a show, there are a million moving pieces, right? And it's not just ratings. Right. There are a million moving pieces. And it anything can go wrong. Like maybe a certain producer decided they wanted something and there's a rights problem if that producer walks. Or maybe the one of the stars of the show said, no, nah, I don't want to come back and do it. And they thought, well, it's problematic. We can't do another season without the I mean, all I'm saying is it's not always just about ratings. Ratings is absolutely the first thing. That's absolutely the top one, but there are other moving pieces. And I saw that news and I keep forgetting who's the star of that again. Um, Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank, Academy, multi-Academy Award winner, Hillary Swank. And I saw that that got pulled already. It's like, well, I guess I won't watch the first season then because I know it probably ends before it wanted to. Rob, you, you saw, what? what's your take on that? Well, you know, I, I think that with shows, with Netflix shows, I think Netflix as an environment has got to be one of the most cutthroat places to have a show because the, they do have so many accurate analytics. They can see who's watching that show in real time. And I, I think they look at – I think it's it's academic with them. It's There's a cost-benefit analysis. We are spending so much money on a show – for its first season, and we expect to have this many, this much viewership because it all equates back to subscribers and how they're serving their viewers. And I think if a show doesn't work right away, out of the gate, they cancel it because it's just about academics. The problem is what Netflix doesn't have because a lot of shows, people got to catch up. There's so much there's so much to watch that a show like Away, which it's not exactly the most well-promoted show in the world, sometimes it takes six months or a year before people even knew it was there to watch. So I think if you don't make a splash right away on Netflix, you're gone, especially if your show's expensive. I think you're just out. They don't they don't give you time to build your audience unless I guess you're a favorite of the people inside of Netflix, which we'll never really know. But I think that's a real danger to Netflix's business model is that sometimes good shows take a while to catch on because nobody's watching. There's only so much time in the day and Netflix drops all these shows. I mean, this is a John. I love space shows. But I just haven't got around to watching it. It's Jason Caddams, Friday Night Lights. It's Hillary Swank. It's going to Mars. I mean, these things all check boxes for me. But even I, I'm like, oh, I'll get around to it. But I mean, yeah. my God, how are you supposed to catch up with everything? And when they get rid of these shows after a year or after one season, let's face it, after a month, it's been playing for a month or two and now it's gone. I mean, Give me well, – I want to binge over the holidays when things are boring and nothing's happening. Then I would have caught up with that show and maybe a lot of people would have too. But no longer it's gone. show's gone. All right. Let's keep going here. Just two more questions to go here, guys. Uh, let's see. Captain Blue Pants writes, Pet peeve. There's a, tick, there's a ticking clock or an enemy is fast approaching or just a general moment of intense urgency. Then the characters stop to have a heart. Ah, Anne and I were just watching something last night where we had this exact same conversation. The characters stop to have a heart to heart or reunion moment. And I'm just there like, get the F out of the building before it blows up. I, I swear, I try to remember what it was. Anne and I like yesterday or the day before, 
we were watching something where it's like something is happening imminently or there's a real urgency to something. And these two characters stop and go, wait, you know, before we go in there, there's something I got to say. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? This is not the time to stop and have a conversation, but they do it all the time. I get it, though. It is for narrative purposes. I get it. Rob, you and I were talking yesterday about the fact that, um, you know, they'll, they'll have to say, wait a minute. How come a year is the same to this other alien as it is to us? Or how come That's this right. other civilization speaks English magically? I, I get it. Sometimes a storyteller needs to have narrative brought across at a certain moment. And it creates these moments where it's like, you couldn't tell her this after you get the kidney to the hospital where somebody's waiting for a transplant. Like you can, like this happens all the time. It is one of those tropes, but it is to me, Rob, it's like that alien language or a year is a year. It's, it's kind of like that to me that I just understand it's part of the narrative, a narrative tool they need to have in their belt, I guess. But have you ever noticed that one? Has, has that kind of trope ever stood out to you before? Yes. I mean, there, there's all of these things. It, 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 this happens in drama all the time because, you know, you've only got so much time. You're, you're combining a perilous situation with some kind of emotional connection. And and rather than get out of the perilous connection and then have the situation and then have the, an emotional connection, they try and do both at once to keep up the drama and the action and excitement. And I think sometimes it just gets you're like, come on, man, let's get clear of harm's way and then we'll deal with our feelings. <laughs> you know, I, I it's just it's it's it, it, it does. It happens all the time. And I understand it. And it's a trope of drama, but it does get annoying. All right. Last question of the day, guys. Brent Robinson writes, hey, guys, breaking news. The Willow series is a go for Disney Plus and will be directed by John M. Chu, which we were just talking about. Of course, this just broke, I think, 20 minutes ago. Anyway, have a wonderful uh, day and thank you for all you do. Yeah. And again, this is something, Rob, that I mean, there was some talk going on about this, like even back at the last D23, like th these there's been discussions about and some news coming out about them looking at doing a new Willow series and blah, blah, blah. Just kind of waiting to see if they ever pull the trigger on it. Apparently now they are indeed pulling the trigger on it. Listen, I am. Do I find myself sitting around every day going, man, when do we get more Willow? No, I don't. I, I, I love the Mad Mod again. I, I love the original as much as anybody, but it's never been one that I felt like that's a world we have to go back to. But listen, I am a sucker for fantasy stuff. And as I've already said, I'm a sucker for Warwick Davis. And so you do this. I'm instantly intrigued. I am instantly intrigued. Now, how involved is Ron Howard really going to be? Probably minimally, if, if, if at all, really, other than just attaching his name to it, I expect. But doesn't matter. Sign me up. I, I like this type of stuff. I will definitely give it a shot. Rob, what's your overall thought of it? Is this is something you're you're kind of anticipating, or what? Well, to be, to be honest, I mean, I'm I, whenever I hear stuff like this happening, I'm thinking, you know what, Cobra Kai, the Dark Crystal yeah. reboot. This, I mean, there are people that are making these things. I mean, I'm think I, I'm sure John Chu loved Willow, so he's going to come on board and give it his all. I'll be curious to see how Kathleen Kennedy handles this, a non-Star Wars Lucasfilm project. I think there's a lot going for this. And I think that nowadays, especially, I use Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai now is the example that everybody needs to be shooting for if you're going to bring back these old IPs. And we're going to be getting, I mean, if Creed being another one of them, you know, 
these kind of revitalizations of these old IPs, if that's what we're going to get, I'm all for it. You know, it's it's the bastardization of IPs like what's going on with Star Trek that I don't like where you by can the way, season three, episode one was so good. Season three, episode one was so good You're out of your mind. It was an amalgamation of 20 other different sci fi shows that weren't Star Trek. Uh, it was but the great. last anyway. five minutes, the last five minutes, I will grant you felt like Star Trek, even though they ripped it off. Right. I got to tell you, I got to tell you what, though, I'm watching Star Trek Discovery season three, episode one. Finally, I got I got caught up and watched it yesterday. And I'm watching it. And number one, I'm loving it. But I'm also thinking, knowing why Rob doesn't like, because he's explained it to me, knowing why Rob doesn't like the previous stuff, he's probably not liking this episode. But then it got to the part with the guy waiting on that station. Yep. And I remember watching and I'm thinking, I don't think Rob liked the rest of this episode. I bet you he likes this part. Now, to me, it was very reminiscent of the beginning of Battlestar Galactica. But yeah, well, that was another thing. It was they, they just keep ripping off stuff. But I love that actor. But and not I love just that, but, but it kind of embodied to me the, the part I remember thinking, I bet Rob loves this whole aspect, which is because I know you get frustrated when they deviate from this, when they are really trying to focus on what the ideals of the Federation are supposed to be. When they yeah. focus on what the ideals are of the Federation, which is why I, I also kind of liked a lot of stuff in in Picard when he was really espousing these great ideals of what the Federation is. And as soon as they started going into those aspects, whether it was her or whether it was the guy on the station, whatever, I thought, I bet you, Rob, appre- at least appreciates these parts. And it sounds like you yes, did. Yes, I did. Okay, yes, I, I did. So. And the hanging of the flag. and I loved it. I'm All like, right, well, where is this show? Has the second episode come out yet? Uh, no, it drops Thursday night. Drops Thursday. By the way, you know I'll start watching again. Sorry, totally sidetracked here. Archer, uh, Archer's back on. Oh. I got it. Oh, I love Archer so much. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, that will do it for us, guys. We actually got through all the. I think this is the first time ever we got through all the questions while Rob was still here. Crazy. Probably we got to the questions a lot earlier than we normally do uh, because the the first three topics are pretty short. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here and uh, being a part of our day with us. It's always an honor having you joining us as we talk about our favorite things in the world. A special thanks, of course, to Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people follow you and all of your intergalactic imagineering adventures (laughs) online? Where can people follow you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me over on my YouTube channel, The Burnett. Network and uh, where the ongoing first intergalactic imagination connoisseurs film festival continues on. And if you want to make a movie, just like John said on his thoughts on walks, you've still got until December 1st to make your first film and put it on our film festival over on the Network. You guys should absolutely go over and check that out because I think it would be a lot of fun for a lot of you guys. Uh, guys, of course, thank you to all of you for being here and making the show part of your day. Special thank you to all of you who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this show as you did it. And all of us here, thank you for that. Guys, remember to do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me and Rob, guys. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.